Brian Carlson currently serves as Vice President of Patient Experience for Vanderbilt University Medical Center. In his current role, he is strategically and operationally responsible for institutional performance on service programming and metrics. Operationally, he has had direct oversight to guest services, patient relations, service consultant, and Center for EMS Excellence. Strategically, he advises on institutional patient experience goals and improvement, employee engagement, culture, and patient engagement programs, including online patient portal MyHealth at Vanderbilt. We discuss who should be on the patient experience team, and it ranges from HR to someone like your kid's kickball instructor. You'll see what I mean. How much do we invest in the patient experience? How do we best engage our employees? And how do we get buy-in from management? What are some out-of-the-box tactics used by Vanderbilt? And how do we use surveys to take the pulse of the patient experience? Mr. Carlson joined Vanderbilt in 2007 as administrator of the Vanderbilt Eye Institute. Prior to Vanderbilt, he served as CEO and COO of a multi-specialty physician group practice in western New York and started his professional career at Northwestern Medical Facility Foundation in Chicago. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. Before we get into the show, here's a quick message from Physician Financial Services, a business widely recognized in the physician community for disability insurance. Lawrence B. Keller, CFP, has been in the insurance and financial services industry since 1990. He also works about five minutes from my house. Unlike medicine, which has a standardized path that physicians must take to gain the education, training, and experience requirements necessary to obtain board certification, the insurance and financial industries do not. While he might not be a doctor's first phone call regarding their insurance needs, he is often their last. Find Larry at drpodcastnetwork.com slash Larry Keller or at the link in the description of the show. Brian Carlson, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Dr. Block. Uh, Brad, please. Brad, unless you're, okay. unless you're one of my patients. <laughs> so we were talking before the show about building up a, a patient experience team, mm-hmm. right? Who should be on this team, right? Like, let's say you're a robust organization with all sorts of departments. Which departments should you be pulling from in order to build a, a comprehensive patient experience team? Whose input should you be looking for? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question to start with. And and first, I'll say that everybody owns the patient experience. There's it's there's not one person accountable for patient experience in an organization because we all influence the patient experience. When you start talking about how to move the patient experience into your question of who should be involved in it, it needs to start from the top. It needs the senior leadership buy-in and depending on on the practice or the organization, CEO, operations, HR should be involved and then there should be some some physician uh, colleagues who are practicing physicians, you know, who are seeing how it's going day in and day out. And then you need to, and then you need to invite staff in and, and uh, along with middle management in there, depending on the size of the organization. So if you have clinic managers or, or office managers, of course, you know, they need to be involved, but you need a good mix of frontline staff as well. And, and you need to welcome them and embrace them and embrace their opinions. 
And then we at, at Vanderbilt, we also have many patient family advisory councils. So where we grateful patients, patients who are, 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 are advocates, but also our toughest critics, we bring them together once or twice a month and, and we talk to them and we listen to them and we give them a forum to tell us about things they're hearing about their own experience or out in the community. So having a patient on your council can be very powerful as well because they're going to bring a whole different perspective you don't see. And then another idea that would be kind of radical is to, not radical, but someone from outside the organization, complete independent, who's not wed to it, but has a, a fresh set of eyes that can bring a, a lens to what they see in your in your practice. You mean like hiring an outside consultant? No, I do not. Are mean you pitching your a, own no, services I, right I am now? Not, no. I am not <laughs> pitching my own services, and I'm not I'm not an outside consultant. I'm I'm thinking, you know, if you have, you know, many boards are made up of people who you know volunteer their time. So you know, it could be a banker, it could be a real estate agent, it could be a financial planner, it could be anybody, it could be a lawyer. You know, but so they someone need to from be a there. different experience, from a different industry, that's yes. going to have a different perspective. Exactly, like fr- a fresh set of eyes that doesn't have yes. preconceived notions. Okay, exactly. But you're you're coming from a large hospital system where you have people like this Correct. at your disposal, right? Like you said, a board. So right. your board is going to have benefactors on it, and the benefactors Correct. are there. You know, they have, they have their reasons, and so they'd mm-hmm. be they, they'd be willing to volunteer their time. Mm-hmm. You might you might find someone. You mentioned the patients. Yeah. Not coming from a large hospital system myself, this is kind mm-hmm. of a, a foreign idea. How, like, what what types of patients are you talking, like, because like, what comes to mind is, like, parents of kids with chronic illnesses mm-hmm. that, like, want to get involved, kind of like mm-hmm. parents might get involved in the PTA, right? Exactly. You're, you're involved in your kid's education. This is a yes. kid who's in the hospital a lot, so... Mm-hmm. The parents have a whole different level of investment, and yep. they're going to get involved in how the hospital works. Is mm-hmm. is is that? That's exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. Or or in a practice setting like yours, you treat conditions where you see patients over and over and over again. So they're chronic, so they're going to keep coming back. So they have a vested interest to the experience of the of what they come to your practice to you to see. So asking them, you know, would you be willing to to spend an hour with us and just give us your feedback and just start with an hour. It didn't have to be on the committee, but just have a listening forum and, and come prepared with some questions. You know, what are the what are the things that you like most about coming? What are the, what are your pain points? What causes you points of frustration when you interact with our practice? And just listen. And and you're going to pick up things like, ooh, I didn't even think about that. We didn't, that's nowhere on our radar screen. Because the patient experience is everything. It's not one thing and it's different for every individual. You know, put yourself in, I've been a patient. I'm sure you've been a patient. What do you expect when you are a patient of someone? You know, are you, how easy is it to schedule? How long is the wait? What was the billing experience like? What was the interaction with the nurse like? What was the interaction with the physician like? And it's different for everybody. So it's not just one thing. And that's why you always have to be on your game. There's no end point to the patient experience. Could you take a disgruntled patient? Absolutely. So you have someone who's like upset and you're getting the feeling from them that, you know, they they really want to be heard. Well, I mean, I guess that's everybody, but sometimes the disgruntled patient, you know, yeah. a specific person who yeah. they just, uh-oh. I don't. No, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of, you just got to, you got to be a little careful there because you, you want to have someone who is not just going to use their experience as the sum of everybody else's. Okay. We all come from our own experience, but you yeah. need someone with a little grounding where this doesn't become a gripe session. Yes. That's not what this is for. It's constructive. Yeah. It's yeah. helpful, 
We want to hear your feedback. Also, my word of caution, if you do this is, when you do it, if you do it, they have to see things that come into it. They want to see returns on the investment, if you will. Yeah. You know, if they bring you stuff up and they see nothing change, you know, then they're going to start to wonder, well, what, what was the purpose of it? You yeah. know, why, why did I waste my time? So how do you convince those that have a financial inst- uh, financial stake to not just focus on the numbers? So whether it's the CEO of a practice, whether it's physician partners, administrators that tend to focus on like, say, the next quarter, mm-hmm. how do you convince them that it is worth the investment? Mm-hmm. Or even what are some things that you can start with that don't necessarily cost money but do make a difference? Keeping in mind, though, that time is money, right? So if you're sure. if you're pulling some committee members, you know, and you're making them go to meetings, mm-hmm. it's time they could have been spent doing other things. Absolutely. You know, let me, let me start with the first question there. I think, I know you're an ENT physician. Mm-hmm. I am going to presume that new patients are a lifeblood of your practice. You know, they're important to keep that coming through. And you get new patients probably one of two ways. You get them referred to you by other physicians in the community who see a problem in a patient and say, I want you to go see Dr. Block. Or you get the patient who is goes on the website, talks to friends and family. Who should I go see? I have this problem. Oh, there's a great physician over there, Dr. Block. Well, how do those opinions form? Those opinions form off the experiences that people have. So the money, the investment, right, is the new patient. You need new patients coming in. If your new patients aren't coming in because your current patients are having a bad experience with you or your practice, all of a sudden, your numbers are going to start to be affected, right? So the patient experience, the investment in the patient experience is about retaining your market share and growing your market share. It's about growing your reputation in the community. And what grows reputation? Yes, it's your clinical skill. That's first and foremost. And I, I'm sure you're an outstanding uh, you're an outstanding physician. But there's also the stuff that comes with it of, okay, I have this. I need to know I'm being taken care of. I know I need to feel like I'm being respected and, and I'm part of the care team and they're listening to me because it's my body, it's my problem, and I'm hurting, I'm in pain, I'm scared, and I want to be taken care of. But at least in my practice, right, each individual physician is, we're not responsible for creating our own practice. Um, We actually have teams that help build the name in the community. We have advertising, Mm -hmm. we have a robust website, right? So there's all these other things. But, you know, ultimately, a lot of that falls on the individual physician. Mm -hmm. So how do we know, like, if we're going to put a bunch of money into patient experience, put a bunch of time into patient experience, it's not going to be, you know, we're going to get that return on investment um, yeah. where you might have some physicians that really, it's, it's really important to them and other physicians, they're just, you know, it's not necessarily important to them, you know, but, but some of that is my effort that's going to benefit them. And yet they're not like reciprocating by, you know, making sure it's a really good experience for everybody. Mm-hmm. I would like to think that everybody in a professional setting likes to take pride in their work. And part of that pride comes with that reputation. And like I said earlier, word of mouth is a significant, and especially these days with social media, 
with the ability to find information on 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 the internet in in business school one of the things we were taught in marketing is the old adage of how many people do you tell with a satisfying event versus a dissatisfying event you tell human nature is you tell far more people about a bad experience than you do with a good experience so every time a patient walks into one of your practices or a practice and has a bad experience they are likely to turn around depending on the nature of how bad it was and maybe share with their husband or wife, maybe share with their immediate family, maybe share with the friends next door. And then it just compounds from there. And all of a sudden, next time someone says, hmm, I, I have this problem, where should I go? It may or may not be their practice that they decide to, to go to. And you have no idea. You, you, have, you have no idea because you don't know that, that word of mouth that's going on there. So you, know, you, you asked the question about investment. You know, yes, there are there's money investment you can make and feedback, you know, tools to get the patient's feedback, survey mechanisms and things like that. And I would recommend, you know, practices have something in place where they can survey patients and get it. And I know most practices do. So that's obviously investment of, of money. To your point though, time is, is, is the biggest part. And, but the, the time that's needed, you know, you talked about committees, you know, that could be, a once a month committee or a once a quarter committee. You know, when you're looking at survey data, you don't look at survey data weekly. It's monthly or quarterly that you're looking at it. So that's maybe once a month or there. The time that you can invest is really that in the day is with the staff themselves. So I want to I want to pivot here and take us down a path to, to talk about um, you know, it's not just I mean, it's the biggie, it's the big experience because I believe where a practice needs to start is with their own workforce. If you have employees who feel respected, who enjoy their work, who feel like they have the tools to do their job and it's a, and there, and there's investments being made, made in them, they're going to turn that around and enhance your practice that much more. And patients can see it. You can walk in, patients, we, we're patients, you can walk into a practice or even to a business setting and you can tell if the employees are not engaged, if they're not happy, if they're frustrated, you know, just by the way they talk to each other or talk to you. And that, that starts with you. That starts with, you know, it's your practice. So having huddles, you know, in the morning, the afternoon, guys, welcome. Good morning. Do you know everyone's name in the practice, you know, that works with you? Do you call them by their first name? Do you say good morning to them? You know, do you treat them with courtesy and respect up and down the hall? Do you do you have fun? Do you joke around a little bit, or is it is it um, you know a, a fun work environment, or is it is it tense? Is it is it you know constantly going? All of those factors play in, and the employees then, if they feel engaged, they're going to translate that experience to the patients, and it makes it that much more comfortable for the patients. That's the investment you're making. Right, and there's no there's no monetary on the, on that. That's just time and effort, courtesy and respect. It's interesting. I had a an interview with um, someone a while back about um, getting into the C suite, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how as a physician do you get into the C suite? And mm-hmm. the key was building relationships. And so when if I'm in the hallway. And I see someone who I might be serving on a committee with, or maybe someone else, but I've got my list of things to do. Chatting with that person is for me now detracted. Now it's 
now I can't get to my list until I'm done with this conversation, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's just another thing that I have to do. Mm -hmm. However, the change in perspective was I just accomplished something. I just mm -hmm. built my relationship with this person. I mm -hmm. just endeared myself to this person who I, you know, whose assistance I may need or may need to want to look to me for assistance, therefore getting me closer to the C-suite. So it's good. They're going to help my tra career tra trajectory. Mm -hmm. So it's an mm -hmm. investment. So we need to see that time in our office with um, the people that work with us, these casual conversations that might seem fluffy and meaningless are mm -hmm. actually investments in building our practice. In building your practice. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, you know, I would, I would hope you know, the C-suite executives, as busy as we are, you know, and it is a, it's a, it's a stressful job. It's very busy, but your job is to provide the tools for everybody else in the practice to do their job. And tools are not only the tangible tools, but it's also work processes. So, you know, getting the, the pulse of what's going on in the practice by rounding, you know, by having, you know, standing meetings with, you know, the physician partners, by having a, an item on the, around, you know, at your board meetings, having patient experience and employee workforce engagement. Okay, what's going on, guys? What are we hearing? Do we have, you know, what, what are the issues that, that we're seeing in, in the practice? And then having listening sessions, you know, just talking with the, the workforce because they know the problems. They know, and they know the solutions too. That's the thing. They can solve them if you just give them the time and if you give them the time and the power to solve it, the workforce will solve the problem for you. You just got to invest in them. So how do we create mechanisms then to get those ideas mm -hmm. from the staff all the way up to the C-suite? Not just, actually, someone had asked me, what's the C-suite about a previous podcast? Because that was the name of the episode. Yeah, okay. Keys the They're like, I didn't even know what you're talking about. So just for the for the people listening that don't know this, the C-suite is where the executives are, right? The CEO, mm -hmm. the COO, the CFO, uh, that's the C-suite. So mm -hmm. how do we get ideas from the staff, not just to middle management, right? Not just to the office manager, mm -hmm. but all the way up to the top. How do we create mm -hmm. those mechanisms so that mm -hmm. they don't only get there, but they're heard, they're acknowledged, they're heard, and they're acted upon? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divide this answer in two ways because you're in a private practice setting yes. and a lot of your listeners are as well. You, in essence, own part of the business. You're an owner of the business. As an owner of the business, you should and you have the ability to influence the C-suite to say, this is important. We need to listen to this. And, and it could be as simple as, hey, I want to invite you down and come meet some of my practice staff you know, for 15 minutes. Come to the first 15 minutes of our huddle or five minutes of our huddle or if we're having a staff meeting and, and invite them down just to, to talk with the staff. And maybe that's just casual to start with, but then invite them back to a more formal setting where you know, there's a, a, a listen and learn. The good executives are doing that naturally. They're reaching out to you to say, "Hey, can I come? You know, spend some time or just listen to what's going on in 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 your practice." As a physician owner, you should have the you have the ability to influence that agenda within the practice overall. And it may have to start with 
you and a couple other of your physician colleagues, this is important to us. This is our lifeblood. Our workforce is our lifeblood. Our patients are our lifeblood. We need them to be you know, engaged, respected, happy in their work. So they come back each and every day and the patients keep coming back every day and we need to talk about it. And if there's nothing, if we're doing great, that's great. High five. Okay, we move on to the next thing. But usually you're going to find something like, hmm, that's a problem. That's an area of we need to keep an eye on or wait, let's talk about it further. Let's set up a committee, you know, a different committee to go solve this problem, whatever it would be. I just so heard a bunch of physician eye rolls. Another committee. Another committee. Another another committee. And, and you know, I, to to your listeners, I you know, we can committee ourselves to death uh, in in the healthcare space. So, but committees do play an important role because it's a point of inclusion, right? We we're big. We have lots of people. We have lots of opinions, and we want to include people. So, you know, getting those focus times to talk in it, and maybe maybe don't even call it a committee. Maybe call it a SWAT team you know, or a, a micro... <laughs> oh, come uh, on. <laughs> uh, rebranding, you know, rebranding committees. Brian Carlson, rebranding committees. <laughs> in the, then in the larger health systems where, you know, physicians may be you know, employed or, or not have the, the stake where they can go right to the C-suite, then it is working through the, the committee structures within the service lines that, that they work in. And mm-hmm. their C-suite is their, their administrator of XYZ service line. And they have access to the C-suite above them. But in those big hospital systems, they're thinking global macro level, which is their job to do. It's those administrators of the service lines that's job is responsibility to think, okay, how are the operations running? Do our staff have the tools to their job? Are, they, are, are the processes working well? If not, what can we do to, to influence and fix them? So a lot of what we talked about is keeping the employees engaged. And when they're engaged, they're more satisfied with their job. When they're more satisfied, they're more invested and therefore are going to treat the patients better. And that's what improves the, the patient experience. Mm-hmm. What are some of the more out-of-the-box things that you all have done at Vanderbilt to improve the patient experience that isn't necessarily about just like, listening to the staff and engaging the staff and making sure yeah, they're yeah. What's the, what's some of the some of the maybe stranger things or just what, what yeah. you wouldn't necessarily think of yeah so i i have a few few things that we've we've done that i want to want to share so first is we have an ongoing initiative right now and and this is unique because it's in it but it's so common sense essentially what we're doing is we we're, we we identified that we have problems of teamwork across teams. So in the hospital setting, it's the nurses and the EVS staff working well together. EVS and or Sorry, nurses what? and food, uh, environmental mm-hmm. services or nurses and food services working well together. And what we discovered is they don't know each other. They have no relationship. They don't even know each other's names. So we've gone through this concerted effort at the at the hospital unit level to bring these teams together. But what we did was we had them create their own mini survey for their workforce, for their work unit about what are the areas they see as problems. And then all of them took the survey, then identified the top four areas that they wanted to work on, and then solve the problems for them. What's been interesting is we've done this on orthopedics, labor and delivery, and trauma now. And the same four issues, these were identified by the staff themselves. These were questions they came up with, they answered, they identified as as a thing. The top four things were teamwork, accountability, communication, and trust. Those are the four things that they wanted to work on 
to work better together. That if they trusted each, if they had relationships, if they held each other accountable, they could trust each other better. If they figured out communication and they still have to solve, how are we going to do it? But it engaged the workforce in the problem solving rather than us management saying, you must do this, do this, do it this way. Here's a course, go take this. Okay. So another out of the box thing we we did is on the employee side, we had our first ever all employee event. We pulled the whole workforce together and, and we had our CEO speak. We had some entertainment. We made it a little fun and uh, fun and festive. We told patient stories and it was really an effort to bring connection to realize, hey, we're a big organization and we have a lot to be proud of that you may not even know about. And let's share that. Let's celebrate that together. And we got tremendous reviews from from the employees who attended that. We had about 50% of the workforce that was able to attend, but we're you know, we're now 28,000 employees yeah, at, wow. at Vanderbilt. So, but, you know, it, it's a time investment. It's a money investment because you're talking, you're not seeing patients, right? Yes. It's not you're, just you're, the cost of the event. It's the opportunity cost it's the opportunity, all the work all that's not happening. Work. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But the investment can be pay itself tenfold because now you're creating camaraderie. You're having fun together. You're creating relationships. You're getting to know people. You're getting to see Dr. Block in a different light that maybe you didn't see him before. You're getting to, you know, so that can be a lot of fun and and really engage uh, engage the staff. The third thing I would say, and this is this isn't I wouldn't call this radical or or you know out of the box, but it it has proven to be very um, uh, beneficial for us. Is so we recently revised our um, mission statement at Vanderbilt, and the patient experience is prominently displayed in that is noted as, as, as the mission of one of the missions of the organization. So with that came this idea of we're going to define personalized care. Well, how do you define personalized care? We had to help our workforce understand what the behaviors are to define personalized care. So we've gone through a two and a half year effort now to identify all those behaviors that we expect us to live up to, both in how we treat our patients and, and in how we treat each other. And we've, we've worked with our HR learning development folks to create these mini modules of learning. They're micro learning. So they're five to 10 minutes. It's not an hour long course. They're five to 10 minutes, humor, fun, but also learning to say, be welcoming. What are the behaviors to be welcoming when you come into the practice? How do we communicate effectively? How do we create trust? How do we commit to be when we start talking about diversity and inclusion, what does that look like? And it's introducing the topic. None of these, these modules were mandatory. We've had over 90% of the workforce take them. Really? Really. Because they're fun, they're engaging, and it's, it's human nature to want to say, okay, how can I improve? What are things that I can do differently in my work every day? And if you make it fun and engaging, people will take the time to take them. And we've had over 90% of the workforce uh, take the modules. Because when I hear module, I mean, I hear the same thing. It's like, I have to take another Another. fire safety module. Mm -hmm. Like I just Mm -hmm. took it two years ago. I took it at another Mm -hmm. hospital. I know. I know. 
but but they're that engaging. That's great. That's, that's great. where you get the creative folks. You yeah. Know, the, the 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 out of, the real out of the box to, yeah. to make them fun. We had we created a character called Exceptional Joe. Kind of followed her through different scenarios. So we we tried to make it make it fun. Like tapping someone from Southwest Airlines that did the flight safety and somehow made it fun and engaging. So people actually listened and participated. Exactly. You take that spin on um, exactly on on that on the engagement. Yep. So you've mentioned surveys a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that surveys are necessary in order to gauge how you're doing, right? Take your temperature. Mm-hmm. And so that goes to who? Does that just go to employees? Does that go to patients? Mm-hmm. And when you're collecting information from those individuals, specifically for, for patient experience, what type of information are you looking for? Yeah. What kind of questions are you asking? Yeah, survey is a, it can be a polarizing word. Let's use the term feedback. We're, we're <laughs> interested in the feedback of our patients yes. and our, our workforce. So how can we get that feedback? Okay. And and yes, a formal way to get that feedback is to say, okay, here's a survey. And you work with a survey vendor who, whether it puts it on paper or does it e-survey or text survey, you know, they have a bank of questions. You choose the questions you want to ask. And then, you know, you ask those. The benefit of those standard questions is, you know, now you get comparison, right? And and comparison is can be very beneficial because you have some you have some frame of reference. Okay, how do I compare? I feel like I'm doing a good job, but I don't I don't know I don't know if I am. Doing those formal surveys allows you to do that. And most vendors have benchmarks and things of that nature that gives you just some perspective, even within your own practice. You know, you said you had over 200 colleagues in your practice. Okay, of the 200, where do I sit? Am I this end of the scale or am I at this end of the scale? And then we can get into the topic of, okay, what do you do with those physicians that are maybe at this end, the lower end of the scale as compared to the higher end of the scale, but the surveys give you that feedback. But then there's the the informal methods of quote survey or getting feedback. And that's simply things like rounding and rounding is you just ask very intentional questions. Did you have the tools to do your job today? Did you feel included in decisions, any decisions? What's the environment of of the office like? Did you have fun today? Did you enjoy it? And have the employees work come up with the 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 uh You're afraid to ask some of those questions. Well did you have fun today? Yeah. Don't you want to have fun at work? Did I have fun today? Did you have fun today? You know, there are probably some I I don't know, maybe fun maybe fun isn't the right word. Okay. But we can get we can get or <laughs> we can get a word that's closer to fun than fun. yeah uh, yeah okay no but you're that that makes a good point what was today fulfilling for you yes I, I think that might be an easier one an easier benchmark was yes. today fu- fulfilling because what are we doing every day right we're mm-hmm. helping patients feel better or we're trying Correct. to we're trying to get them there and Correct. so at the at least the they working in healthcare you should be able to find your job fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where, I mean, where do you find these surveys? Where, I have no idea even where to look. <laughs> well, I mean, sounds like there are some proprietary yeah, there, there are companies there, out there. there you just there ask are, them like, there are, there are no shortage of survey vendors out there. Got it. Um, okay. And I think depending on the practice size would really dictate what kind of, you know, survey, you know, vendor you're looking for. Um, uh, and, you know, I think you can, there's some that are very, you know, a little more regimented. They're they're more established, so they have very specific question banks that they 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 want you to choose from and use, and and that creates the standardization. And then you have other survey vendors who are uh, are much more flexible 
in allowing you to, what are the questions you want to ask? What are the two or three, four questions that are most important to you in your practice? And you can evolve those over time. You can change them, right? But my caution on changing too much is you lose, you, you start to lose perspective. You know, yeah, you, 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 need to, you, you need to track change over time. Exactly. And you can't do that if you're doing different surveys. If you do the exactly. same survey, then you can track change over time. And actually, is that really what you're looking for? Or are you look like, it, how useful is the first survey going to be versus tracking that data over time? Like, is oh, the it's, first it's, survey going to be that useful? No, it's over no. time. You, you, need, you need comparison. Right. Okay. You need you and 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 you can create you know incentives off of it, you know, whether you like use what? well, if you're using a standard you know, at Vanderbilt, we have uh, our survey scale is very poor to very good. And what we measure is how many times a patient marks very good or what we call top box on the questions on the survey. Mm-hmm. So we measure ourselves how many times is that box X? And this is over thousands and thousands of surveys, 20 questions on each survey. So we get a lot of data and then we get a number, we get a top box number. Well, you do it once. Okay. So I'm at 75% top box. Great. What does that mean? Well, you got two questions on that. How does it compare? And that's where benchmarks do help because you can compare yourself internally or externally to say, how do I compare? And then over time, okay, so I'm at 75. Well, what does that 75 number mean? Well, then we ask these questions. These questions were a little lower on it. So, okay, how can we move? The, what, what, are, what are causing patients to not mark us very good? And what you first look at is, are they marking you very poor and poor, right? Because if they're marking that, they're telling you, yeah. this sucks. This they feel awful. strongly. <laughs> they feel strong. I feel like <laughs> on those scales, patients are either going to be way at the bottom or way at the top, right? The middle ground ones, I mean, yeah. how often are they just checking you straight down the middle, right? They either yeah. feel like this was great or this was fine. Even if it was fine, they'd be like, yeah, great, whatever. Great, great, yeah. great, 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 great. Yeah, yeah. Or they're going to be like, this was awful. And then you're at the bottom. That That is that you're absolutely correct. So, you know, you, you're going to get the ones where you're going to get the very poor. And that's, those are easy. That's low-hanging fruit because they're telling you, they're, they're like waving in front of you. This is yeah. not a good process. This is not a good experience. Do something about it. The harder exercise is once you you know fix that, it's how do you move the goods to the very goods, right? And that is now you're getting into the personalization. You're getting into what is important to them and everyone's different. And that's where we're so busy in healthcare. It's very hard to do that. You know, I want to know one of the big things that is a, dis, you know, a dissatisfier to patients across the industry, wait time, right? You don't respect my time. You know, I'm respecting your time, but then you don't respect mine by making me wait, you know, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever, whatever it would be. And one of the things that I've discovered over time is that things like wait time can be mitigated to a degree, there's a relative degree, by managing expectations, if you manage expectations, keep them low, low <laughs> expectations. Restaurants are beautiful at this. They figured this out a long time ago. You know, well, it's it's been a while since we've been in restaurants now because yeah. of COVID. But we'll we'll get back there someday. But let's pre this. They were you would go in and like, oh, it's a sixty minute wait. Oh, okay, <sighs> uh, this is good. We, okay, we'll wait. Is it ever sixty minutes? No, it was usually thirty minutes. So now you're like, whoa, I'm in thirty minutes sooner. So you're happy, right? 
they just manage their they manage your expectations. They they exceeded your expectations because you thought you were gonna have to wait 60, but you're only having to wait 30. So I will argue that specific point though. I mean, mm-hmm. it might be that that's you're just using an example, you're I'm just using, using hyperbole, yeah. fine. But I, you know, they're what we're asking the front desk to do. Mm-hmm. is to break bad news, right? Mm-hmm. We're, they're going to want to tell them, yeah, it's only going to be 10 more minutes and then it ends up being 20. But if you're going to tell a patient, yeah, it's going to be another 45 minutes. Like the the patient, the, the staff isn't going to want to do it because mm-hmm. then they're going to have to get an earful. What? 45 minutes? Oh my. And the physician might not want to tell the patient that because then they risk the patient going, I right, screw it. I'm out of here. And then that's lost revenue. Mm-hmm. Not that we want to, I'm not advocating for keeping them on the hook. Like, mm-hmm. all right, just another 10 minutes. Or, so we don't lose that revenue. But I'm just, the, yeah. this is how I can foresee it playing out. So how do we address that? How do we address that? The, the, it's hard for the staff to do. And the, by making that wait time longer, then it might actually be, we might lose a patient. Mm-hmm. I wish I had the magical answer to this one yeah. because it's a problem that many practices face and you know I've faced in in my time, you know, in in my career. The ones that that do it right and the patients usually respect it is the accurate ones. Is unfortunately empowering the staff to break the bad news and yeah. helping them to feel empowered to say it is going to be another uh, you know, Dr. Block is running a little late today. And the thing about it is when you give that explanation is you can't say, well, he had an emergency. You know, he was called to an emergency. We we use that a little too often mm-hmm. and patients yep. are seeing, you know, we are seeing through that. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure there was that. He he got caught up with a difficult patient. Here's the thing. if If I feel like I'm going to get the same amount of time and attention from you when I get in the room to see you yeah. as that person that's getting, that's making me wait longer. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be yeah. satisfied where, where I think we lose it is okay. You're waiting all that time and then you're rushed. Okay. Good to see you. Everything good. Check, 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 check. Hand on the door. Anything else? Nope. Okay. See ya. And now it's like, I waited 45 minutes and for what? Yeah. You know, I can um, do that if I haven't made you wait. And that's how I stay ahead of schedule. Yes. But if I've made yes. you wait, well, that's, and that's part of the quicksand, right? Like yep. now, and I, I feel that way when I'm with my patients is I feel horrible that you've had to wait 45 minutes and now I'm going to just let you take as much time as you want. And now the yeah. next patient's been waiting for an hour because exactly. I took so much time with you. And then the yeah. patient after that has been waiting for an hour and a half because I took so much time with you. Yeah. You know, you get, and then it just, and then you're, oh, so, yeah. so that's the, that's the, that's the risk. Uh, there's also, you know, there's that. also a little bit of, of, you know, you can try to deploy some science behind this. And we've had operational engineers look at, you know, what's the right way to build a physician's template and schedule. And yeah, all of you, practicing physicians are different. You practice a little differently, right? Yeah. So is it two returns and a new? Is it four returns and new? And and you really got to sit down and think through that. What is the optimal template size? Yeah. What is your capacity to see and stay within that capacity? And then how do you mix it so you keep the flow going throughout the day? That really requires the front end 
thoughtful consideration by you, by you, you know yourself best and your staff. What do they see? They, they see, well, maybe, maybe Dr. Black would be a little better if you move this over here and that would speed things up a little bit because now you're not caught in that room and we can keep these patients moving over here with testing or something else that's going on. Yeah. That's your ophthalmology background coming That's my through, ophthalmology right? background coming all through. That, all those <laughs> all tests that, testing. <laughs> that you go through before you actually see the ophthalmologist. You're there that's, for like, right. you know, that's a big buffer. That's a big buffer. That's That that definitely helps the flow. Yeah. But you're right. Like the more that we can kind of have them doing other things that will need to get done eventually, but can be done mm-hmm. either before or after they serve, they serve as buffers. Like are there mm-hmm. buffers in your schedule? Is there a way to maybe front load it and then have a buffer for you to catch up and then, you know, mm-hmm. load it and then buffer to catch up, just mm-hmm. knowing that those ebbs and flows happen. Yeah, yep. yeah, yep. That's, that's great thinking. So any parting words from the Vanderbilt experience on, on patient experience? For, well, for I, I, yeah, I don't, I, don't uh, I think that there's an article, a really good article by Dr. Tom Lee recently in the Harvard Business Review. He's the physician lead at, at uh, Press Ganey. And they did a, a common analysis of all, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of comments. And, you know, they looked at good and, and bad ones. And the common theme in the good comments, the ones where people were satisfied, were the two themes of courtesy and respect. So I frequently get asked the question of what is, what, what, just tell me what to do. What's the silver bullet? There is, I don't think there is a silver bullet, but I'm starting to think the silver bullet in healthcare is as simply as the golden rule. Treat others as you would wish to be treated. If you were the patient sitting in that chair, what would you want? What would you expect from whatever service? If you were the workforce member, how would you want to be treated? And it goes both ways, both to the patients and to your, to your, your employees, because your employees can be your biggest advocates or your biggest detractors. Yeah, I uh, discovered looking at people called in and said, we, don't, we just want to see a physician. Yeah. The, the staff are the physicians they like they send it to them first. If yeah. they don't like you, they don't bring you up. And we caught them doing it. And I don't even think they realized they did it. But there was the human connection to Dr. Block's such a nice guy. He's a great guy. You'll love him. I'm going to send you, I'm going to, you know, let's see if we can get you fit in over there. Versus Dr. Carlson, who, um, yeah, not the best bedside manner, you know, a little rush, a little crass, whatever it would be, you know, I won't even, won't, won't even bring him up. As, as an option. Which is not necessarily a reflection of your abilities. No. It's your, but it's the way that you treat them. You see them as people, you see them as colleagues, you treat Courtesy them Courtesy well, and respect. And they're going to, they're going to treat you and it's just going to pay in dividends. So that, that time that you spent, you know, chit chatting is, mm-hmm. is the investment. And it comes back to what you said at the beginning, right? That, that taking that time, learn their names, learn their spouse's names, learn their kids' names, you know, take that, Learn what's important to them. What do yeah. they value? You know, what what excites them? What motivates them? They enjoy helping you with procedures. They enjoy the science of medicine. So bringing them in on cases and and teaching them a little bit and giving them kind of the inside, you know, the inside stuff versus no, I just want to keep my head down and do my job. You yeah. know, understanding that about your workforce will make you that much more effective at your job because they'll help you that much more and it'll build your practice. Great advice. Great advice. Brian Carlson, VP of Patient Experience at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Block. Keep doing a great job. 
Such a great show with Brian Carlson. But before we end, don't forget to reach out to Larry Keller of Physician Financial Services for your disability insurance needs. He's been around for a while in many physician communities helping them with the coverage they need. Find Larry at drpodcastnetwork.com slash Larry Keller, K-E-L-L-E-R. That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. He can be found at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a previous guest or have an idea for a future episode, send a comment on the webpage. Also, please be sure to leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next time on the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.